Our first reading is from Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 22. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. And our next reading is from Isaiah chapter 7, verses 1 to 25. When Ahaz, son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, was king over Judah, King Rezan of Aram and Pekah, son of Remaliah, king of Israel, marched up to fight against Jerusalem, but they could not overpower it. Now the house of David was told, Aram has allied itself with Ephraim, so the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken, as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out, you and your son, Shear Yasuhab, and make meet Ahaz at the end of the adequate of the upper pool on the road to the laundress field. Say to him, Be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid. Do not lose heart because of these two smouldering stubs of firewood, because of the fierce anger of Rezan and Aram, and of the son of Remaliah. Aram, Ephraim, and Remaliah's son have plotted your ruin, saying, let us invade Judah, let us tear it apart and divide it among ourselves and make the son of Tabil king over it. Yet this is what the sovereign Lord says. It will not take place, it will not happen, for the head of Aram is Damascus and the head of Damascus is only resin. With 65 years, Ephraim will too be shattered by to be a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is only Remaliah's son. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, I will not put the Lord to a test. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David, is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. He will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose right. For the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose right and the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. The Lord will bring on you and your people and the house of your father a time unlike any since Ephraim broke away from Judah, and he will bring the king of Assyria. In that day, the Lord will whistle for flies from the Nile Delta in Egypt and for bees from the land of Assyria. They will all come and settle in the steep ravines and in the crevices in the rocks, on all the thorn bushes and at all the water holes. In that day, the Lord will use a razor hired from beyond the Euphrates River, the king of Assyria, to shave your head and your private parts and to cut off your beard also. 
In that day, a person will keep alive a young cow and two goats. And because of the abundance of the milk they give, there will be curds to eat. All who remain in the land will eat curds and honey. In that day, in every place where there were a thousand vines worth a thousand silver shekels, there will only be briars and fawns. Hunters will go there with bow and arrow, for the land will be covered with briars and fawns. As for all the hills once culviated by the hoe, you will no longer go there for fear of briars and fawns. They will become places where cattle are turned loose and where sheep run. Thanks, Lily. Now, don't you reckon this is amazing? That 734 years before Jesus was born, Isaiah saw it. And in chapter 7, which was just read for us, he announces it and he says, The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. And then 734 years later, Matthew, he writes about how an angel appears to Mary, a virgin, and tells her she's going to have a baby. And Matthew writes, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel. Don't you reckon that's amazing? But at the same time, don't you reckon it's also pretty confusing? I mean, because when Lily just read Isaiah 7 for us, it it doesn't feel very Christmassy, don't you reckon? In fact, just kind of see how exactly Isaiah is pointing to Jesus and his birth And that first Christmas, Isaiah is talking to a king called Ahaz and he he says God's going to give him a sign and the the sign he's going to give Ahaz is that the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. But then we heard, he says, he'll be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. But before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. I don't know about you, but aren't you kind of thinking as we read that, what on earth does it mean to start with? And then what on earth has it got to do with Christmas and the coming of Jesus? Do you see the problem here? Is Isaiah speaking here to Ahaz and and his situation? Or is he speaking about Jesus born of a virgin 734 years later? That's what we we need to figure out today. And as we figure that out, it will actually unlock for us what God is saying to us about uh, in this part of of his word in Isaiah. And it will also help unlock for us what God is saying to us by Jesus coming to the world at Christmas. So today what we're going to do is, is first understand what's going on in the world of Isaiah 7 and then we'll, we'll see how that might point to Jesus' birth and then finally we'll look at what that might mean for us today. So first of all, we're jumping back 2,750 years in time. 2,750 years. And we get a summary of what's going on at that time in verse 1. So have a, have a, look, at a, have a look at this map as I read again for you verse 1. Okay. When Ahaz, son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, was king of Judah, 
King Rezin of Aram and Pekah, son of Ramalia, king of Israel, marched up to fight against Jerusalem, but they could not overpower it. Now, Isaiah's world was not full of Christmas cheer. It's pretty grim. So to the northeast, you can see up there Assyria, and that is a superpower that is growing in power all the time. And being so close to the border with Assyria, Aram up there and northern Israel, they're getting more and more nervous. They want to stand up to Assyria. They want to resist Assyria. So they form an alliance with each other and they want to force Jerusalem in the south to join them in their resistance. And Ahaz, the king of Jerusalem, he's terrified when he hears about their plan. Now, the the political context um, can get a bit confusing with all these sort of strange king's names and strange place names. So think of it like this. Imagine if China was getting more and more powerful in the world and more and more threatening. Just imagine it, if you can. Who's going to get most nervous? Probably the ones who are going to get most nervous first are the countries that are closest to China. So the equivalent situation in our world would be something like Japan and Indonesia joining forces to invade, to attack Australia, to try and force us to join them in resisting China. That would be the kind of equivalent kind of world, if that helps you picture it. So Ahaz, he's caught between a rock and a hard place. He's terrified of Assyria. And he's terrified of this new alliance against Assyria. And it's into this really tense situation that God is speaking in this chapter. So we heard Isaiah is to take his son and he's to go out and he's to speak to Ahaz as he's inspecting the city's water supply. In other words, he's getting ready for a siege. And look again at God's message for Ahaz. Look at verse 4. God says, Say to Ahaz, be careful, keep calm and don't be afraid. Do not lose heart because of these two smouldering stubs of firewood, because of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram and of the son of Ramalia. And then in verse 7, God says about their plans, it will not take place. It will not happen. God says to Ahaz, he doesn't need to be afraid. He just needs to trust him. But look at verse 9, because God also says to him, but if you do not stand firm in your faith, You'll not stand at all. Can you see that God's message to Ahaz is crystal clear here? Trust me and you'll stand, but refuse to trust me and you won't stand at all. And God actually, he gives Ahaz every opportunity possible to trust him. Because look what Isaiah says in verse 11. He says, ask the Lord your God for a sign. Whether in the the deepest depths or the highest heights. But Ahaz says, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Now, this is a bit confusing. It sort of sounds like Ahaz you know, has so much faith that he's saying, I don't need a sign. But that's not what's going on because look at how Isaiah responds in verse 13. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David. That's, that's Ahaz. Is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God 
also. So the truth is, Ahaz doesn't ask for a sign because he doesn't want a sign from God, because he actually doesn't want to trust God. In fact, he's already got his own plan, and he doesn't want God to get in the way of that. Ahaz's plan is to become a, a, a vassal state, a, a servant state of Assyria. So his plan is to call on Assyria to deal with Aram in northern Israel, which, which is a stupid plan whichever way you look at it. This would be kind of like you know New Zealand invades Australia, and so Anthony Albanese asks Vladimir Putin if he wouldn't mind coming and giving a hand to get rid of them. That's a stupid plan. But that's pretty much Ahaz's plan. He doesn't want to hear God. He doesn't want to sign. Because he doesn't want to stand firm in faith in God. He wants to stand firm in his own plan. And so he invites Assyria into his backyard. Now it's at this point in that interaction there by the water that Isaiah changes gear with Ahaz. Ahaz doesn't want to hear, he doesn't want to see. And so now Isaiah tells him that God is actually going to give Ahaz a sign whether he wants it or not. But now it's not going to be a sign that's going to help him stand firm in faith. Now it's going to be a cryptic sign that tells those who have the ears to hear something quite different. Look at verse 14, because this is where Isaiah says, Therefore... The Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Now, can you imagine that interaction by the water? It must have been pretty confusing for Ahaz. I imagine he's he's there and he's thinking, I've got real world problems here, Isaiah. I've got to deal with an upcoming siege. I don't have time to be talking with you and your oddly named son, Shia Jashab. I don't want to hear quaint little messages like, just trust God and it'll all be okay. And I definitely don't have time for riddles like a virgin is going to have a baby. My ears are hearing you, but honestly, mate, it's like blah, 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 wah, wah, wah. Now, I'm guessing Ahaz must have been thinking something like that. But what message should he have taken from this sign that God says he's going to give him? What message is God sending to those who have the ears to hear it? Is Isaiah simply saying, hey Ahaz, you know it's only 734 years till Christmas. That's 267,910 sleeps. Just thought you might want to know. Or is there some other message that that this sign is pointing to. Well, it's actually not that cryptic. We see what it points to in the next couple of verses. So so look again at verse 14. Isaiah says, The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. He'll be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. For before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. The sign for Ahaz is that within a very short time, there'll be no need to fear Aram and and northern Israel anymore. And that sounds great for Ahaz, doesn't it? 
But actually it's not, because Isaiah says in verse 17, the Lord will bring on you and your people and on the house of your father a time unlike any since Ephraim broke away from Judah. He will bring the king of Assyria. Ahaz, he wanted to bring Assyria to deal with Aram and northern Israel, but God says they're going to impact Jerusalem too. God is going to whistle for Assyria. And like insects, they're going to crawl all over the land. This is not a, a positive sign. This is, this is a picture of a country crawling with invaders. God says Ahaz will call on Assyria, and yes, they'll deal with Aram and northern Israel, but Assyria is going to come a little too close for comfort. It's going to be an extremely close shave, he says. An uncomfortable shave. Look at verse 20. In that day, the Lord will use a razor hired from beyond the Euphrates River, the king of Assyria, to shave your head and private parts and to cut off your beard also. This sign that, that God is giving Ahaz is a sign that points to judgment. But it's not just a sign that points to judgment. There's more to it. Because we read that this child to be born will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. So who is this Emmanuel in Isaiah's time? Because we're told before, before he's a, he's a, a few years old, Aram and northern Israel will be laid waste. So he's got to be someone in their context. Who is he? Did you notice that this is actually the second child that's mentioned in this chapter. So in verse 3, um, God told Isaiah to take his, his own son, Shir Jashab, with him to speak to Ahaz. And this isn't, this isn't God saying to Isaiah, look, you need to spend more father-son time, Isaiah. You should have a sort of shared interest, like harassing celebrities. This, he's there for a much more important reason. In fact, Shir Jashab, he points to the meaning of this sign that Isaiah gives Ahaz. Because Shir Jashab means a remnant shall return. His name literally means a tiny group will turn back to God. And this is actually the meaning of Isaiah's message to Ahaz. Now this is, this is a little bit tricky to see, so, so stick with me at this point. In their context, the virgin who is with child is daughter Zion. The virgin with child is Jerusalem. Later in Isaiah 37, 22, Isaiah writes, Virgin daughter Zion despises and mocks you. Daughter Jerusalem tosses her head as you flee. So think about what this is saying. God is saying to Ahaz that his sign to him is that Jerusalem is bringing into the world a child. And that child is the remnant who shall return. It's the tiny group who will turn back to God. A group called Emmanuel. God with us. God's saying to Ahaz, this little group is who I will be with. But I will not be with you. God will be with those who gather around Isaiah and those who stand firm in their faith. God will be with this small group and will look after them through the mess 
that Ahaz's lack of faith is bringing on them all. Now, it's a bit hard to understand, but that's what verse 21 is about as well. Isaiah says, In that day a person will keep alive a young cow and two goats, and because of the abundance of the milk they'll give, there'll be curds to eat. All who remain in the land will eat curds and honey. This, we sort of don't get this. It kind of goes over our head because we don't sort of live in that world. But the idea is that all the crops have been destroyed by the invading armies. There's no food there. But there'll be so few people left in the land that they can survive quite well by gathering honey and off what remains from the few animals left. And the point is that God is going to keep this small group who stand firm in faith. He's going to keep them through the coming judgment and he will provide for them on the other side. So let me bring it all together. The virgin will be with child is a sign about coming judgment for those who refuse to hear God. But it's a sign about salvation for the tiny group who turns back to God and who stands firm in faith. So that's the easy part done, right? That's what the sign meant in Isaiah's time. And and actually what Isaiah predicted would happen, happened in history. You can see it verified in history. Just two years later, after Isaiah spoke to Ahaz, northern Israel fell to Assyria under Tiglath-Pileser III, and a puppet king was set up there in 732 BC. And in that same year, Aram fell as well. And then northern Israel fell completely in 722 BC under Shalmaneser V. And as Isaiah predicted, Jerusalem didn't escape unharmed. In 701 BC, Judah was all but devastated. It was an extremely close shave. All the land around was destroyed by Sennacherib and Jerusalem itself was completely surrounded and only escaped because of a miracle. And what Isaiah predicted all happened in history. So now we need to go back to our first problem. Is Isaiah speaking to Ahaz and his situation? If that's what's going on, how can he also be speaking about Jesus born to a virgin 734 years later? How are these two connected? This is where we need to understand how prophecy in the Bible works. Sometimes um, people think prophecy in the Bible is just about predicting the far, far off future. You might have come across that idea before. But as we've seen, the first thing Isaiah does is, is speak about what's happening in his time. That, that's, that's the way prophecy works in the Bible. But as Isaiah does that, as we've seen, as he starts to look forward to a, a time when things will be different, he lifts his eyes to describe a, a time when people will be born who will stand firm in faith a people who will be born out of Jerusalem, who will be saved from judgment, a people who will be born, who will be known as Emmanuel, God with us. The way prophecy works in the Bible is that as a prophet looks forward to a different time, they not only see what's coming immediately in front of them, they catch a glimpse of what's ultimately to come in God's plans. 
let me, let me see if I can explain it for you. It's kind of like when you're looking at a mountain range. When you look up and you see what's coming up ahead of you, you see the next peak that occupies most of your vision there in front of you. But often you can be looking at, at what looks like one mountain, but you're actually seeing a whole heap of peaks together. You're catching a, a glimpse of a, of a bigger mountain behind a smaller mountain right before your eyes. That's how prophecy works in the Bible. As Isaiah describes this sign of judgment and hope that's going to unfold over the next few years, he's also catching sight of an even greater judgment and hope. Isaiah is catching a a glimpse of, of where this sign is ultimately pointing to. So Isaiah, he points to a people who will be born out of virgin daughter Zion. But he captures a glimpse of a person who will be born of an actual virgin, Mary. Isaiah points to a a people who will be born as they stand firm in faith. But he catches a glimpse of a person, one person, who alone will stand perfectly firm in faith in God his Father. Isaiah points to a, a, a people will be known as as those who have God with them but he catches a glimpse of a person who is himself God come to be with us by becoming one of us can you see that the amazing way that that prophecy works in the Bible the sign God gave to Ahaz all those years ago points to a path that leads all the way to Jesus So back to our problem. Is Isaiah speaking here to Ahaz and his situation? Or is he speaking about Jesus born 734 years later? Can you see the answer? Isaiah is speaking first to Ahaz, but he's ultimately speaking about Jesus. Jesus, who is the fulfillment of God with us. Jesus, who came to save us, not from Aram or Assyria, or from any mess in this world, but God come to save us from the source of every mess in this world, our sin. So this really is a sign for Ahaz, but its fulfillment really is Jesus. They're joined like the start of a path and the goal, the destination. So we've got just one final question that we need to answer. What do we do with this sign given to Ahaz that finds its fulfillment in Jesus? What should we do today with Isaiah 7? Well, in many ways, we should do what Ahaz should have done. Christmas, the message of Christmas, it confronts us with a choice just as clearly as Ahaz was confronted with a choice. Christmas confronts us with God's plan. Christmas tells us that our greatest problem is not the Assyrians or or war or a political crisis of any kind. The message of Christmas tells us that our our real-life problem is not the cost of living or housing affordability or finding success or happiness or meaning in life. Or a lasting relationship that will fulfill me? Or work-life 
balance. The message of Christmas tells us our real life problem is not even resolving family tension or even sickness. The coming of Jesus tells us our real life problem is sin. Matthew writes, give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now, I don't know, I don't know about you, but I reckon just like Ahaz wanted to sort of brush Isaiah aside, this is a message that we're tempted to just kind of want to brush aside. Because for some reason, sin doesn't feel like a real world problem. Even though the reality is we see the symptoms of sin all around us in this world. You know, sin can be very far, far away, like in Gaza and Israel at the moment. But sin can also be seen up close and very personal, like sometimes around the table at Christmas lunch. Sin is the source of every mess in this world and every mess in our lives and every mess in our hearts. And so just like Ahaz, we face a choice. Do we run with our plans to try and dodge the symptoms of sin in our lives as best as we can? Do we put our hope in making money or in health or in our relationships or in chasing meaningful experiences? Or do we trust God about what he says is the real problem and what he says is the real plan that's needed? In some ways, Ahaz's plan seemed more sensible, more tangible. And just stand firm in faith in God sounded like wishful thinking. And we could think the same in the face of this messed up world. Just stand firm in faith in Jesus sounds wishful and weak. But let me tell you, what we've seen in Isaiah 7 is what we can expect to see play out in our own lives too. In the end, do you notice, it's Ahaz's plan to win security his way without God that backfires and hurts himself and his people. And in the end, our sensible attempts to shore up our security, our happiness, our life, our well-being, our way without God, in the end, these attempts will come back to hurt us too. Let me try and give you just one example of how this can work out in life. You know, if my plan involves making a lot of money so I can have security in my life, if that's my plan, and if I ignore God, or even if I just expect Jesus to get on board with my plan, how does that often play out? Well, it often plays out that I put relationships second, my kids and my wife are neglected, my heart becomes cold, my life's stingy, my interactions with people transactional, entitled. I barely consider God's plan. And when I find eventually that money actually can't buy me the security I need, can't buy me the life that I'm trying to secure for myself. And when I find money has actually cost me my relationships, my health, my soul, chances are at that point I'll also find that it's too late to turn back to God because I'll be addicted to money. 
And besides that, I'll, I'll blame God for not making my plan work. See, whatever plan we put in the place of God's plan, in the end, it'll, it'll do that. It'll come back and hurt us. And so just like Ahaz, we face this choice. What's it going to be in your life? What's it going to be in your decisions, in your motives, in your desires? Is it going to be God's plan? Or is it going to be your plan? Is it going to be Jesus as your Lord and Savior come to save you from your sin, like we hear in the Christmas message? Or is it going to be you as your Lord and your plan as your Savior, saving you from the symptoms of your sin? And the truth is, we don't just face this choice at one moment in time. We face this choice daily, almost every day. So if we honestly look at our hearts this Christmas, what are our hearts saying? Are we saying to Jesus, you're welcome to get on board with my plans? You're welcome to do for me what I want you to do for me? You're very welcome to make me and, and my kids happy, comfortable, healthy, according to my plan? Or are our hearts saying, my plan, it just doesn't matter. My plan doesn't matter. All that matters is I stand firm in your plan. Your plan that has unfolded over centuries. Your plan that is fulfilled with God come to be with us as one of us. Born in a stable, in the cold in poverty, in order to die for us, come to save me from my sin. Your plan only now, tomorrow, and for all eternity. Let me pray for us. Father, uh, you know our hearts, and you know that we are so like Ahaz, that in the face of the challenges, the real challenges of this world, and when confronted with your solution in Jesus, your plan, we are very inclined to just brush aside resting on your, on your plan, putting our hope in you for our own plan, our own hope. Lord, open our eyes to see that actually our real life problem is our sin, our rejection of you, our ignoring of you, our choosing what we want over you. Lord, help us to see that these kind of plans will always come back to bite us. Instead, Lord, help us each moment, each day to rest in your eternal plan, to have Jesus as our Lord and Savior and to let him rule over our lives, over our hearts, over our decisions, over our desires. And we pray this in his name. Amen.